1: Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you by the team behind Bikeradar.com, Cycling Plus
2: and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Bike Radar podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking through the top Five road tech news stories from 2022 as decided by your clicks to bikeradar.com. Today I'm joined by tech nerd in chief Simon von Bromley who I know for a fact reads nearly everything that goes on bikeradar.com meaning he contributed a great deal of these clicks to the site this year. Simon how are you today? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you, Jack.
1: And yeah, I'm very pleased to be here because we did a uh, similar podcast to this last year and I really enjoyed it because we just went through all of our favourites. But um, but yes, the powers that be have decided that this year to let the people decide and stop me and you just picking all of our own content. Which we did last
2: year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to dive straight in and leading the charts as the number one Rotex story of 2022 was the new Trek Madone, Simon. You're our aero nerd in chief. Tell me the key things I need to know about the Trek Madone. And maybe we'll go on to consider why it was interesting and why it was popular
1: last year. So, obviously, Trek, very big name in uh, road bikes, has been for a long time. Obviously, the American brand. So, the Trek Madone, the new Trek Madone, is an aero road bike. It oh, yeah. was said to be lighter, Oh yeah. faster. Who could have guessed? <laughs> Maybe a bit stiffer.
2: Oh, It was
1: more expensive.
2: Oh, definitely. <laughs> um,
1: but I think the, the kind of the major interest in this story came from the fact that it had a, uh, a, a whacking big hole in mm. the seat tube. Big uh, enough to stick a
2: baguette in it if you uh, look at other cycling websites.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, a very big hole. Uh, it, basically, the kind of reasoning for it was that it replaced the uh, ISO speed kind of decoupler system that added a bit of comfort to the the, the previous Madone. Um, obviously, with their kind of very thick or kind of long and a- stiff aerodynamic tubes, aero bikes have a tendency to be a bit uncomfortable, especially with kind of uh, oversized aerodynamic seat posts. So Trek had always got around that by using their kind of ISO speed system, which allowed the uh, seat post and the kind of seat tube to flex a little bit independently of the the top tube in the seat stays for a bit of extra comfort. But I think the pros... You know, as they always do, felt that this system added too much weight, they didn't want the comfort, you know, we Trek said to us that basically... Pros want uncomfortable bikes they are light, lightweight, who, uncomfortable who bikes. I never could have predicted. Yeah, I know, right? Um, So, you know, Trek said that essentially they the feedback they'd received from the pros was that like, you know, great bike, we like it, very fast, we don't care about ISO speed, so if you could get rid of it, that'd be great.
2: And that's what they did? And
1: that's what they did, and yeah, they replaced it with a, a nice big hole, which they say makes the bike more aerodynamic, Uh, the kind of mechanism that they said makes it more aerodynamic is that the airflow apparently is accelerated through this hole and that kind of, as it comes out, it reduces the size of the low-pressure wake behind the bike and the rider and therefore reduces the overall aerodynamic drag. Of course,
2: impossible for us to test well, we're not recording this in the Bike Radar wind tunnel. <laughs>
1: no, unfortunately not. Someone spent all the budget on new members of staff, which <laughs> is. <laughs> we could add a wind tunnel. We could have had a wind tunnel, you yeah. know, but
2: sadly no one listens to me. Oh, there we go. <laughs> um, why do you think this bike kind of struck such a chord with uh, viewers? I, I mean, it was definitely the most memed bike of 2022. Do you think it had any part to play in its uh, success as a news story?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I think just the, obviously, road, road cycling is, you know, one of the most popular disciplines anyway, and Trek is a big name. So whenever they launch anything mm-hmm. new, it's always kind of notable. Um, I think the hole in the seat tube, it just really got people interested. You know, there's a kind of, you know, we, we went for the headline, the, the new Trek Madone SLR is lighter and faster, thanks to a big hole in its seat tube. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very matter-of-fact he- uh, uh, title, but it, it kind of like it draws, hopefully draws the intrigue and a lot of people would have thought,
2: why does uh, that? Uh, sorry?
1: <laughs> yeah. A what? So, yeah.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's it's one of these things that it very much appears quite genuinely innovative and I think people like to see brands, even big brands like Trek, taking a bit of a, a leap into the unknown mm. and doing something genuinely interesting from a design perspective. And I'm sure they'll do very, very well off the back of it, sell lots of them and hopefully win races on it. Do you know something I've, just occurred to me when we started recording this podcast is that at no point um, in our coverage of the Trek Madone, we never referenced the Cannondale Synapse, the two Mm. generations ago, um, Synapse being an endurance bike, which had a hole at the very bottom of the seat tube, just above the bottom bracket shell. Why didn't we talk about that? Nothing's new in cycling.
1: No, I think, I mean, obviously, so, you know, that was not there for aerodynamic purposes. Um, So if you haven't seen a picture of the the new Trek Madone SLR, I would obviously recommend going to bikeradar.com and reading our your my excellent news coverage and also Ash Ash Quinlan's excellent review of this bike but um but yeah the the hole in in the seat tube in this bike comes just below the top tube junction so it's it's much higher up and and obviously you know the kind of the kind of the concept of it is completely different but yes as you say if we're talking about bikes with a hole in the seat tube this isn't the first one
2: All right Next, we stick with our slightly aero theme and we go on to the giant Propel. Now, Simon, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one too as you rode and covered the bike for us on our YouTube channel and on site, both well worth reading and watching.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think in contrast to the Madone SLR, I think the Propel was popular because it was a kind of ultra lightweight aero road bike that was a bit simpler. So the Propel doesn't have... A hole in its seat tube. It doesn't have a kind of wacky V stem like the Sabello S five. It doesn't, you know, look like a kind of time trial bike with a drop handlebar in that sense. But it it is more, um, it's more simple and simpler.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Live deputy editing there. Yeah, thanks, Jack. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to okay. get Gary on the podcast
1: in future. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think people. We're waiting for an update to the Propel because the old Propel it was generally acknowledged to be a fast bike, but perhaps... You know, pretty ungainly. Pretty ungainly, especially if you ran a lot of headset spaces. I think it had... Which you wouldn't be caught dead doing. You're slammed at the front 24-7. Always, yeah. Yes, hashtag slam that stem, mm. hashtag save the rim brake. Mm. <laughs> um, no, so I, I, I think people, you know, while they're kind of... The, the Trek Madone SLR is a kind of a bike that lots of people would be interested in reading about. It, it's not going to be a bike that I, I I don't expect to see many of those on the local club rides. So partly because, you know, it's a pretty pricey bike. You know, Treks are not cheap anymore. Not that any bike is cheap anymore, but, you know, yeah. Treks are generally on the slightly more expensive side. But also because it's a very sort of hyper-specialized uh, bike and, and you know, it's it's really built for, you know, Kind of world tour, go fast ride level, yeah, racing and riding, mm-hmm. and and so it's a slightly overly specialized bike for what I think maybe the kind of like you, know, you kind of average punter wants. Whereas the whereas the Propel, on the other hand, um, you know, because it kind of is that nice mix of lightweight, you know, Giant says it's faster in terms of aerodynamics than the old one as well. It doesn't have a overly complicated kind of integrated front end you know the cables are uh, kind of completely hidden from the wind but they don't pass through the stem they go kind of underneath it in a little channel which means you can swap the stem without disconnecting the cables which is obviously good thing if you like swapping bars yeah all of all of those types of things you know it it also had some very nice KDEX carbon wheels which had carbon spokes and very nice fancy hubs they had like kind of, the way they integrated the bottle cages was very nice was very neat and Obviously, Giant is another, uh, another big brand, but I think. Giant. Mm, <laughs> I think they've kind of moved away from, you know, the once, you know, we've, we've kind of discussed this before on various podcasts, you know, the Giant TCR was that the kind of vanguard of road bike design. But I think Giant has kind of stepped back uh, a little bit from, from that, and they're kind of making bikes that are very solid.
2: You do say that, but KDEX. Um, the sister brand to Giant who as you said supplied the wheels they did come up with that wacky what was it called the crazy Tri Bike Kadex Tri Bike memorably named yeah so maybe that maybe you know as a brand they're going to push the envelope slightly less with Giant where they make very solid you know nice bikes that particularly in the mid range are very very competitively priced these days perhaps Kadex is more where they're going to push the envelope out and and that brand has released some very, very lightweight wheels, particularly this year, full carbon spoke, as you say, um, and also very lightweight finishing kit. So maybe that's a bit of a sign of things to come, where that's the more sort of premium, weird, niche, lightweight, whatever brand. Mm. Yeah, that would be really int- that would be really interesting
1: to see. Of course, when KDEX launched a tri-bike, that was something we asked them, you know, like, are you going to be doing a UCI legal TT version of this? Or, you know, does this mean you're going to be making road bikes now? And of course, they didn't want to tell us. <laughs> but... That would be something we'd love to see in 2023 but um but yeah i i think the giant the new giant propel obviously we tested i say obviously but we did test the um the most expensive model but i think for me and, and i'm sure you know a majority of other riders what would be most interesting is the fact that giant does an advanced pro and advanced level with you know cheaper slightly cheaper bikes as well as the most expensive advanced sl versions So you can get a build that uses, you know, exactly the same frame shape, slightly cheaper carbon layup, you know, slightly cheaper components, but, you know, be a little bit heavier, but normally should be pretty much just as fast. So yeah, a very exciting bike. And as an owner of a TCR, I have to say, you know, I really like my uh, 2020 TCR disc, but I think when... That bike launched. I this this is basically what I was hoping for, mm. and I think if I didn't own a TCR disc, I would be sorely tempted, sorely tempted by this bike because it it's just it's kind of yeah it, it, it just ticks all of those boxes that a kind of a Fettler like me would be interested in.
2: Would you consider swapping the frame set? Yeah, only
1: if only if someone wanted to give me one. I don't think, that a kind of cost, you know, like how much what's a giant. They're not unreasonably priced. I think they're like kind of an advanced pro TCR or Propel disc frame set. It used to be around 1,500, 1,600 quid. I imagine now, now like probably. 20, 20 price, probably more, maybe like two grand. Like, it's not going to be worth it, is it?
2: Nah. Nah. Is, nah. Not for the amount that we ride anymore, Simon. <laughs> yeah, I spend we're all my time on Zwift. <laughs> over the hill. Well, you'd be faster in Zwift. It's more airy. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, the Giant Propel, you know, it's a big name brand, big name bike. Looks really cool. Very lightweight. It's no wonder it did so well. Now, I was quite surprised by this one. Coming in third place was the release of Shimano's newest version of its range-topping S-Fire RC903 shoes. Now, I mean, they're very, very tasty shoes, worn by some of, you know, seen on the feet of the best athletes in the world, including Simon Bromley. <laughs> uh, no, seen the li- likes of Matthew Vanderpool. And that's where we, in fact, first spotted the shoes long, long, long before their official launch, but long before we'd heard anything from Shimano. They were seen, yeah, on the, the feet of Matthew Vanderpool. And um, eventually they came around and... They're almost the same as the old yeah, ones. Yeah, I think that's that's the weird thing for me. Yeah. And I
1: wonder if that's kind of like what stoked the intrigue of our mm. readership in a sense that like Shimano's launched a new high-end version of its best road shoe. Oh, what's changed? Oh, I better click and find out. And it turns out not a lot.
2: Yeah, I, so I've actually been riding them, much to, I'm sure, your amusement, Simon. They've uh, sort of become my de facto winter shoes <laughs> because I need to test them. And they're black. <laughs> and they're black. Um, but basically compared to the old shoe, slightly different finish or different color options now a little bit more venting on the upper they use different lacing uh, for the two boa dials and overall they're just very small aesthetic changes but really overall visually there's not a lot that's changed however the last has changed slightly. And this is one criticism that a lot of people leveled, including yourself, on the previous generation shoe, where the first generation S-Far shoe was terrific. People really, really rated the fit of that shoe. And for quite unclear reasons, the second generation went to a much narrower last, which is sort of at odds with the thinking of most brands. Mm. Now, to give Shimano credit, they did also offer a wide fit version. And I know that's what you preferred. But I, for example. Well, so I didn't get to test a wide fit version, oh, okay. but
1: I have re- I have re- I'm a narrow person. You're a narrow man. Narrow-minded, narrow body, <laughs> narrow feet. Open-minded. Mind. Open Open-minded, yeah. No. I, I, so, you know, for me, they were fine, but they were kind of, you know, I, I, they were kind of on the limit of what I was mm-hmm. comfortable with in a kind of shoot. You know, I like bonds and specialised shoes, which have a kind of like, you know, wider last. Yeah. But um, I could, obviously, you could tell that, it, yeah, if you had sort of wider feet, it was going to be an issue. But yeah, Shimano did do a kind of wide fit version, but I, they, you know, obviously they don't stock those everywhere, so yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. tricky to assess how much difference that would have made. So I think for most people, you know, you're going to be shopping online. You just want the standard fit shoe if you've got standard
2: mm. feet. Yeah. Well, I I've been testing, as I say, the new version of the shoe. Now I had, oh, you'll have to help me, Simon. The mid range RC 905 Sevens, seven as the seven.
1: Yeah, the RC 905s that are kind of. Uh,
2: Budgety ones. Budgety. Yeah. yeah. So I have the RC907s, the previous generation ones, and I normally wear like an eight and a half or a nine in most cycling shoes. And these were like binding my feet. They were so narrow. Now, I tell this story to everyone because it's really <laughs> gross and funny. <laughs> but I was uh, once crushing a cardboard box out the front of my house, a bike box, and I rolled my foot and I cracked my foot. And now I've got really old, gross, bony man feet. Like they're just horrible. And I found that the RC97 just didn't work for me. The new S Fires though, it is it's it's marginal for me, but in their normal standard fit, and they do also offer a wide fit much, much better. So that's the kind of key change. And I will I will commit to it on the podcast because Ash will kill me if I don't <laughs> I will be publishing a review of them early in the new year. But so far, it's much what you expect. They're expensive, they're really nice, and they look cool. Yeah? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, people, you know, obviously. Especially within road cycling, you know, I'm sure in other disciplines too, but cycling shoes remain a kind of enduringly popular topic, mm. even though, you know, things don't really change that much year to year, right? You know, I know boa dials constantly are being updated, mm. even though, you know, I'm a lace-up man through and through, but um, the, but they say that boa dials are constantly getting better and better, but, you know, they're all the same really, aren't they? I don't really know what changes year on year. Well, shoes... Well no, but just bow you, know, you know what I mean? Like how like road type shoes. are good. What? The
2: ones that go two ways now, they're pretty good. I like the bow dials that go two ways. Okay. I mean I don't
1: know. It seems like marg- it seems like marginal changes to me. Whereas like yeah, You're very, a
2: marginal guy. This that's should be true. Right up your I am,
1: but I'm all about laces because bow dials are not aero, so
2: that is true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've got kind of like old school cool look laces as well. So And and I'm old school cool. You certainly are at the ripe old age of thirty-four. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, S review to follow in the new year. But one of our most popular stories of the year, I guess people like expensive shoes. Well, I'll do more of that next year. Yeah, exactly. Year. Hopefully, exactly.
1: If more brands could release more high-end shoes that we can write about, that would be really great.
0: This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe, dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com.
2: Sticking with Shimano, it was the long-teased and long-awaited release of Shimano 105 Di2, the first time the Shimano's third-tier entry-level group set has been available in a Di2 electronic format. Simon, what do you think of 105 Di2?
1: Um, well so i'll i'll caveat my opinions um with the fact that i i haven't actually ridden 105 di2 i have ridden Jurace di2 the new the new one which uh, this is based on and you know that group set is phenomenal mm-hmm. very very good but obviously very expensive
2: have you ridden Altegra?
1: no i haven't but you
2: know much of a muchness yeah
1: I, I if if you've read um, our colleague warren's review it it feels identical mm-hmm. you just you know you're carrying around Three hundred extra grams, which yep. you, know, you can't really tell. So um, I expect one hundred and five di two in terms of pure performance is going to be
2: Most, pretty much the same. Pretty
1: much the same, you know. Which, so normally you think in your head, "Oh, well, that sounds amazing." You're getting kind of you know nearly durace performance for a lot less money, and I suppose that's 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 true. And I, I think looking at it from a point of view of like, I was really excited for one hundred and five di two. Because I thought, oh, maybe that would be the you know the, the thing that would really make me decide to switch from mechanical to electronic shifting. I just don't know if it. I, I feel like it's maybe too expensive, mm. but um, but then that yeah, like I said, if, it de- it depends because if you think about it compared to a durace group set, you, you know, you're getting ninety nine percent of the performance of that group set for you know a, a fraction of the cost, but. It's tricky, yeah. The RRP of uh, over seven seventeen hundred pounds—it's a lot, of money. It, a lot of money. To call for me to call it
2: entry level is definitely a bit yeah, of a stretch. Yeah.
1: So, so it's it, it's tricky. It was obviously a very exciting launch, and I think we'd all been like, you know, hoping this day Amped would come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, on paper, I think it ticks all the boxes: twelve speed, really good gear range. You know, like uses basically, yeah, identical technology to uh, Ultegra and Dura Ace at the rear mech. I think the front mech uses may use slightly older technology. It's not
2: as slimline as mm. the new Ultegra and Dura Ace. Um, front- it looks pretty much like the old yeah. previous generation Di Two. It's just like a bigger forehead of a. <laughs> yeah, and, but those,
1: and, but those, you know, they, the old generations of Di Two had phenomenal front shifting. So I don't. It's not. It's not that you know. I could kind of necessarily pick apart what I think are negatives beyond price I, I was slightly disappointed that the kind of the available part sizes mm-hmm. have been reduced so significantly uh, this Shimano even with Altegra and, and Dura-Ace is kind of rationalizing the amount of available parts they have so I think for this group set at launch you can only get a, an 11 to 34 tooth cassette and you can you know you can't get an 11 to 30 you could only get a 50 34 at launch chain chain set you couldn't get a 56 32 or which of course end, you need because you're a legend bigger. yeah i just want the i just want the choice yeah i just want the choice so um you know those those things are you know minor points i don't know i was i was super hyped for 105 di2 before it launched and now i don't think i could necessarily mm. see myself buying it
2: I think, what I I largely agree. Like, it's a cool group set. I'm sure it'll be fantastic performer. Ash is actually testing it at the minute. Um, Like, there's nothing on paper which you're like, oh, that seems strange. But you are right. It's not like set the world ablaze. I think what could be more interesting, obviously i have no idea what Shimano are planning, but I wouldn't be surprised if this signals a bit of a shift in how they... Um, tier their group sets so like durace is very very expensive and the bikes it's being seen on respect on rather are typically very very high-end very very high-end bikes i wonder if they're going to sort of rejig or try to rejig people's thinking where durace is a bit more like your super record mm. nicer finish lighter components Altegra takes the place of durace 105 becomes Altegra, and then perhaps they bring it down to a Tiagra level. But also outside of the road cycling world, there's been kind of strange and I dare say quite like underpublished things around their DI2 group sets on the mountain bike and urban side, where there's this whole range of new cues components. And what their intentions are there is, is quite unclear, where the parts kind of look cheaper in terms of spec, but like they don't look naff at all. So to bring really cheap, or I say really cheap, but to bring cheaper cheaper electronic group sets before sort of addressing that lower end in the roadside. I don't know, it's it's just quite a strange way of doing things. And I think we could see quite a significant change there for Shimano. But what I'm wondering is what the future is for their mechanical group sets as well. Like mechanical group sets are not going to go away as a brand. I mean, SRAM have pretty much abandoned. It. I think we can all say that. Well, they st- yeah. So SRAM still has
1: them in their catalogue, but we certain they they've not seen any development no. for a while. Yeah, so eight
2: years something like that probably since we saw last. Yeah, I think they one.
1: updated a few group sets, such as Force and Apex, to add in hydraulic. Uh, capa- hydraulic disproach capability, but that mainly seemed to be one by for kind of cyclocross bikes in that kind of era when yeah. hashtag cross was coming. Well, yeah, before gravel bikes RIP. kicked on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think you know, I you know, funnily enough, actually, I hadn't heard of Q's Di2. Uh, I have, just had to Google it right now, but it looks really interesting. <laughs>
2: like, yeah, How you can read about it on Bike Radar, Simon. I thought you read
1: everything. Well, we did. <laughs> it's kind of mountain bikey stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm too busy reading all the, the you know, inflating my uh, my own numbers on my on my articles, paying clicking, bots yeah. to
2: click your article, <laughs> exactly,
1: paying bots to comment on them with angry comments that I can respond to, and kind uh, s- kick somehow, Simon. Exactly, make myself look good. But I think, yeah, it will be interesting to see. We see, we recently published an article. Um, about some FCC filings that SRAM had made, potentially for a new uh, APEX uh, access ETAP wireless group set that, you know, maybe it's coming soon if they're filing wireless communication things with you know American governmental agencies for, for new shifters. So, uh, you know, if that comes in and undercuts their kind of mm. cheapest option at the moment, which is rival ETAP access, then, you know, that would be... Super interesting because rivals are already pretty cheap. So if there's an even cheaper one, then yeah, I guess Shimano mm. might feel pressured to respond in order to not lose. Because obviously at the moment, you know, Shimano really dominates that kind of OEM mm-hmm. lower part of the market. But if everything's going to move to an electronic shifting thing of some form, it's going to be hard to, I mean, you know, you can't spec shimano 105 di2 on a on a two pound bike for example if the group set alone costs 1700 quid RRP, but yes sure so, but yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I, mean? I mean like it's just
2: it's, it's not going to happen no. so i do wonder like i think we said this in a previous podcast but like like let's say you're brand new to cycling like you would wonder why it doesn't have electronic shifting arguably like you could un- be like well you know car is electronic isn't yeah, it it does not the, the modern, modern world
1: everything's electronic why is this still running on you know a series Gables. of ca- pinion cables
2: and, and well, Bowden cables Bowden and cables Bowden Bowden, Bowden sorry Gables. but yeah it's you know I, I think I think how people think about electronics is changing especially with the rise of e-bikes completely I think we need to take ourselves out of the mindset of like knowing things and thinking oh well if I was brand new to the sport what would I expect I think people would perhaps expect electronic drivetrains also the actual tech that's behind them I say this with no basis of like being (laughs) an engineer but like the actual technology of moving servos with wireless shifters like that stuff's been in RC cars for years and years it's not like an unproven technology now there's of course zillions of dollars worth of r&d that go into making that good and making it reliable and so on but the actual tech itself isn't extraordinary in the wider world of engineering so it is of course going to get cheaper with time and and i'd be very surprised if shimano don't move into fill that space we'll see mm. hopefully we'll be talking about that in next year's roundup tiagra di2 can't wait to see it what a life what a what a time to be alive <laughs> uh, rounding things out kind of On a similar note, in terms of electronic integration, was the new Cannondale Synapse, which went all in on practicality with 35mm tyre clearance, all road one might say, integrated lights and a threaded bottom bracket. Last point being a bigger note than you might imagine for Cannondale, and I'm sure something Simon will talk to us about in a moment. But we'll first go on to the sort of tyre side of things. Uh, The range... It is very road focused and if you look at the Cannondale Synapse range it is still very much Cannondale's um, endurance road bike but within that there was a really interesting uh, build that they marketed pretty much as an all-road build the L- uh, Synapse LTD RLE really cool GRX 2 by build slightly chunkier WTB tires you know is the endurance bike dead Simon is the all-road bike now the king
1: I mean, it depends what you think an all-road bike is, isn't it? And we had a thing. Whether on, you think of an all-road yeah, road bike is, is a thing. that a thing? I don't know. I find it really interesting. You know, I, obviously it's the winter time here, and um, you know, every year I think about building a kind of like a good winter road bike because I've always got got by on something, you know, like a, a terrible old mm-hmm. rim brake race bike with clip-on mud guards. I'm having exactly the same thing this year, and I've, and I, you
2: know... You've got quite that cool old felt, don't yeah, you? Yeah,
1: but it, it, the tyre clearance is so small. Like, even with guys, you've got room for basically 24, 25mm tyres, like whip, width. Ah, it's not very comfortable. You don't get loads of grip. And, you know, obviously looking around at everyone on, you know, nice bikes. Like, I was looking at a Dolan frame set today, which had clearance for up to 35mm, 30, and you think, perfect, that sounds incredible. But then you're like, ooh... But then why don't I just go and get a gravel bike? And yeah, then I can have clearance for up to 45 millimeter yeah, tires. Yeah. And then you can, you know, really get- But then of of course, you know, gravel bikes come with the slower handling. Um and I think that's something, you know, talking to uh, our colleague Warren about is that, you know, not, you know, people often think, well, don't bother buying an endurance road bike because you can just go get a gravel bike and it'll be much more capable, much more versatile. And those things are true. But what kind of, you know, the reason, you know, someone like me likes road bikes is because they're kind of fast handling. A bit more exciting, a bit lighter, a bit nippier, and and so the kind of you still get those things on an endurance road bike. So I suppose it, it's kind of really tricky. It they, they seem to be, you know, obviously it, the model you mentioned, the Synapse Limited RLE comes with integrated lights, electronic shifting, which
2: we will talk about in a second.
1: <laughs> yeah, which we'll talk about in a second. But like it seemed, it if you were, you know, we take. Young Felix, for example, our, our wonderful colleague from the video team, he's into his Audax's all-day jaunts and, and things like that. And th- th- this felt like the kind of perfect bike for him. He's not into racing. He doesn't need to be going as kind of, you know, he's not going to be interested in buying a, a Cannondale System 6, for example. But this bike seemed right up his street and actually, that's partly because he has a an older Cannondale Synapse but like, I can see where they're kind of developing it in that sense where like, you know, he does dabble in gravel but when you're on the road you want a kind of faster bike than, you know, if you're doing an Audax or like a big, big day out in the saddle wherever, wherever it is, you know, a gravel bike has that kind of slow handling, it's going to be heavier, it's just not, you know, the tyres won't roll as well as uh, kind of, you know, dedicated road tyres. So, Yeah, I I can definitely see the market segment, even if I think that, you know, it it obviously I I would imagine it has shrunk a bit compared to kind of 10 years ago when gravel bikes didn't exist.
2: Definitely. And onto the uh, electronic integration, this bike um, in collaboration with Garmin uh, Cannondale, and I think we're going to see this in more of their bikes in future, have developed essentially an integrated light and radar system. It's based on their Varia technology. The headlight was produced in collaboration with Lezyne and there's different versions depending on which part of the world you're in, whether that's STV zero compatible, which is a German legislation that defines bike lights or flashing if you're in America, whatever. That's the kind of small details. The key thing is that Cannondale see that electronic integration even on non uh, e bikes as being sort of a key thing people are looking for in the future. Um, I like integration on bikes of electronics, namely in the form of dynamos. I think that having, like, it's a really boring comparison, but like, you wouldn't buy a car without headlights, would you? Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's, it's, and yeah. It's quite a trite comparison because, you know, you just strap them onto any bike. But I think something that, brings useful integration isn't to be sniffed at. However, because it's not like a mass technology, nor is it, it might say on cars, it's all quite proprietary, but because it's not a mass technology, I'm slightly hesitant of this sort of stuff where, well, in 10 years time, i gonna be able to get a replacement battery that slots right into that sort of place. Now you could say that of anything. You could arguably say that of Durace DI2 from 10 years ago, where like, well, you can't buy a new battery from Shimano now. It's been replaced. Mm. Um and that's true of electronics in general. But I, I don't know, just when, when you may be affecting the functionality of your bike in a way that you, you could get around quite simply by not having integrated parts. Like, I don't know. That's not very fair for me to Canada. Perhaps no, I, they're going to have stuff yeah. forever and ever.
1: But it's just, don't know. I don't I know. I think I know what you mean. It's especially with this bike in particular, the way the kind of downtube has a slot for that specific battery. It kind of feels like, you know, they, they've gone they've gone far enough to mold in a slot for the battery but it's not also completely hidden because mm-hmm. that would be a bit annoying and impractical but like you say if if you're kind of tied to that you know, obviously batteries are consumable are consumable parts you know yeah maybe canon will be will be keeping a stock for 10 20 years but and, and then maybe that's that's long enough for a kind of carbon bike i i, I don't really know i think it, your comparison to cars is a kind of interesting one, and I guess you know most cars are kind of you know utility vehicles, mm. and so yeah, like on a utility bike, like it, your Humvee, yeah, <laughs> like my Hummer, um, yeah, so it's a utility vehicle that I need for taking my child to the child Um Whereas you know you know this the, the Cannondale Synapse is not a utility bike; it is a leisure bike, and I think. It, it's it's kind of hard to say because it's hard it's hard to kind of separate the fact that you know we're nerds full time and professional professional, nerd. professional nerds and for me I would be thinking well what if I wanted something different you know and then it's like well you can't have it because it's integrated now for, for sure for ninety nine percent of people they'd be like great lights you know light is a light is a light is a light and I'm sure Cannondale has put in a lot of Effort and research into making sure these are the you know the good lights for the bike and they do what you need, but I, I would al- I would always be kind of like hesitant because I think well, what if there's a better one over there that I would prefer?
2: Mm.
1: So it's tricky, but um, I, I like the idea, and I and I you know, I, I think you're right. We are going to see more electronic integration beyond e-bikes, you know, especially if you've got a Di2 battery or you know, with Swift Tram Access, they put their tram access batteries on their dropper posts and all of this stuff. So, you know, electronics are kind of proliferating across bikes. You know, in, in, as you said earlier, in a, in a way that they are, you know, throughout our general lives. You know, I don't know at what point we're going to get an Alexa activated bike.
2: I think we already had that headline a couple <laughs> of years ago. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure we so, had a voice activated. Do you know
1: what I mean? Like, it's it, it's 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 just the kind of like the way of the world. Whether it is. Good to have
2: 2019, we did. <laughs> Alexa, let's go for a ride. Halfords launches Alexa-equipped smart bike. 2019. Oh, there you go. I'm two years behind the curve. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but it's kind of indicative of that of that age we're in, right? Uh, whether you like it or not is probably down to whether you you know are you the type of person who is happy to have you know a car with proprietary parts. That has a load of electronics that controlled everything. You know, would you prefer a key in your card? You want a start button? It's it's that kind of thing. I think, you know, as it as it becomes the norm, we, we even on aero race bikes, for example, we're now seeing you know brands like Merida have integrated lights into the seat post and stuff like that. And you know, if 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 you had an aero road bike which which could have the light integrated into the into the head tube. More aero. Yeah. Well, you know, you get a light without any kind of aero penalty. You don't have to turn it on if you don't want it. You know, obviously, I'm someone who does all of my riding other than kind of commuting and stuff during indoors. the day. <laughs> yeah. And indoors. <laughs> you know, obviously, I wear my helmet and my light and have my lights for safety indoors because otherwise, you know, someone could come in, they might accidentally get hit by a spinning pedal. So, but, you know, for people who are less safety conscious, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, know, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I, you don't need necessarily need lights on bike set for sport, and and in that case, just kind of clipping on a set of flashing lights just for visibility is absolutely fine. But as we hopefully move to a world where cycling is a more utilitarian Mm. uh, activity, activity thing, then then yeah, you know, it makes perfect sense that they would become integrated into the bike because yeah if i brought a commuter bike today and it and it kind of comes without lights like as you say you wouldn't buy a car to to drive to work on or go shopping without lights because literally because it would be illegal but you know what i mean you would think
2: it was insane if you had to add on lights later so many bumpy thoughts big bumpy brain thoughts i i really think there's you know it's it's true of everything we write. We never want to assume people's knowledge, but we also don't want to assume people's opinions. Like, well, we may have very red-hot, spicy opinions <laughs> on um, integration or electronics or the prolif- proliferation of electronics. Like, people who are new to the sport may have a very, very different opinion, a new generation are coming who have perhaps grown up with more electronics in their life in general. We're curmudgeons. We're over the hill. We're over 30, Maybe yeah, I'm not even on TikTok. Not even on TikTok. Hmm... One to ruminate on over the New Year's period while I ride my fixed gear rim brake bike. Steel, <laughs> steel. <laughs> it's real though, isn't it? That's the thing. Anyway, these are the top five stories, road tech news stories, of 2022 as decided by your clicks. But what were your picks for 2022? Let us know in the comments under the podcast article on site or email us at podcast at bikeradar.com. We love hearing your feedback. It's very important to us. And um, I think that does it for now make sure you check out our mountain bike news tech highlights as well it's a really good one from uh, weaves tom and alex very entertaining and simon thank you for talking through your highlights of last year thank you very much jack thanks for listening to the bike grade podcast we will speak to you again soon
1: thanks for listening to the bike Creator podcast if you've not done so already please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode